so if you will turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 3. I'm not using the screen today. I, I, uh, I just want to talk with you a little bit about this next section of Scripture. Um, and we're just going to see what God does and where the Lord leads. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, or however far. And this will be a little bit different today, um, but just pray that it's what the, Lord, what the Lord would have. As a matter of fact, let's go ahead and pray before we get into the Word. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today with my friends, my brothers and sisters, your other children. Lord God, we come before you now asking that you would have your way with us. You've already, um, you've already shown up this morning and, and uh, just blown my mind. Lord, I, I thank you that uh, you never leave us nor forsake us. I'm thankful that your word is living. And uh, I'm thankful, God, that you are planting it in so many around me that it's just astonishing to me the work that you're doing and you're growing people up, you're growing and maturing marriages to really reflect and demonstrate your glory. You're softening hard hearts all around, Lord, and I'm so desperately thankful that you softened my, my hard, hard heart that I might be able to see with your eyes. We ask, God, that you would move in and among us today, Lord, if there are any if there be anybody here, Lord, that's never, that's never come and, and come to faith in you and been wedded to you, been joined together with you, I pray, God, I plead that through this word and through these testimonies and through this worship, through just your presence here in all these things, that they would be brought into the family today, that they would be... Uh, made new through the sacrifice and the love of our bridegroom, King Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet for the reading and the hearing of God's word. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Therefore, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 3, uh, verses 7 through 11. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says... Today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, I'm going to do a little differently this morning, and um, I want to draw some connections that um, I don't think I'm reading into the text. I think I'm harmonizing and drawing some connections, but I do, I'm not, I'm not going to do like a have been doing here lately um, and be super technical because the Lord has just kind of pressed something on my heart for me to show you. And it's this. 
is that we as a people, and I'm speaking of humanity, we as mankind, as human beings here upon the earth, we, we have an issue. And that is, is that we have sinned against God. We have committed adultery against God and we have, we have made ourselves enemies of God. We, in the beginning, God created Adam and he created him to walk with him, to be with him, to be one with him, to get all of his joy and all of his pleasure fulfilled in him. And Adam was to be sold out to God and God loved Adam and he desired for Adam to be complete and so God from the rib of the man made him a wife she would be a helpmeet to him that she would be the the one the partner the completion of Adam as he would come as she would come alongside of him, and the two would become one flesh, spiritually, emotionally, physically, and that they together would demonstrate and perfectly display who God is. Who God is in, in his being, in the Trinity, where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were one. And they were intricately interwoven as one. And God, through his own will and desire, created man to simply demonstrate who he is. He didn't need to do it. There was nothing lacking in God. But just in a demonstration of love, he created Adam and Eve. But then Adam broke covenant with God. Eve broke covenant with God and they sinned against God who had promised them that they would live forever in this beautiful paradise with no problems, no pain, no tears, no struggle. The ground would not work against them, but it would, it would bend to their will and their desire because they were in line with God. And that when God was in the center when he was the focal point, when he was everything, there would be no arguing and bickering and fighting and sweating and by the sweat of your brow having to plant the garden. No, that creation would flow. And they were commanded to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it in this harmonious relationship of one flesh two people but one flesh harmoniously walking through the garden through the through the paradise through earth and and fulfilling the will of the father and orchestrating and moving through and and, and taking care of everything around them and it was beautifully harmonious a demonstration of God's very character displayed in these people and then they broke that covenant and they disobeyed God. And they did so because they were looking for fulfillment in other places. And when they disobeyed God in this way, it created a chasm between their creator and them. You can think of it this way, that Adam and Eve, before the fall, when God had made them, 
and they were naked, and it was good, very good. And, you know, we always say a joke about that, but why does the Bible, the Bible makes no mistakes, and there's no, there's no useless words. Why does he say they were both naked and unashamed, and, and behold, it was very good? Why? It's because the reason there was no shame is there was nothing to be ashamed of. There was no judgment. There was no comparison. Adam, Eve was, Eve was the only one there. There was no other woman that he was like, hmm, she, he, I, don't, I don't know. You see, there was no insecurities in Eve. So she was just, a lot of us, when we think about that, when we think about Adam being naked and Eve being naked, where does our mind go? It automatically goes to, well, she must have had the perfect body. One, maybe she did, maybe she didn't. Well, it was in the garden, so it's probably pretty jam up. <laughs> but at the end of the day, even if it would have been maybe not jam up, but maybe more downward, it would have been perfect. Because Adam could only and did only have eyes for her. You see? There was nothing to compare. It was all perfection. But when sin came and they broke covenant with God, they, they were looking elsewhere for their fulfillment, for their completion, for their identity. Everything fell apart and they became hardened and they started to doubt everything. And this doubt that crept in started to make them look at themselves like, you know, what's going on here? And, and the reality is, is that that doubt creeping in was a result from their lack of fulfillment in God. So you see, the only reason, and, and why I say this, because part of the curse was when God came back to the garden to meet with them, they, God says, where are you guys at? Hey, one, now did God know where they were? Was? Well, God knows everything. It's not like, where'd they go? You know, No, God knew where they were. What was he saying? Why have you distanced yourself from me? Why have you hidden yourself from me? You see, they had broken ties. They had, they had moved out of the view where they could see God. And God was pointing that out. He said, where are you guys at? And he says, we're, you know, we're over here. Why are you hiding? They had, they had sewn fig leaves together. They, they covered themselves up. God says, what did you do that for? You think he was wondering? Does he not know the thoughts of the ones he had just created by the word of his power? He knew. What did he want? He wanted them to say it. He said, we they said, we realized that we were both naked and we're ashamed. God says, who told you you were naked? You know what that demonstrates to us? Is that shame and doubt and fear and comparing yourself to anything other than who God created you to be brings that's where shame originates shame and sin and doubt and worry about what everyone thinks of us so we're covering ourselves and and we don't want to even see god much less other people and so god curses them but it wasn't God's desire to do that it was their choice to bring that curse upon themselves for God had told them you can eat of anything you want just don't touch the one tree what'd they do they touched the one tree 
And so the shame and the guilt was brought on by their distrust in God. And in that distrust, they were cast out of the garden. And their soft hearts that were one with one another, and there was no shame, no, no fear that they were open. You could, it, they shared everything with one another. They were there working the ground with one another. There was no problems. There was no strife. There was no struggle. Doesn't that sound good, married folk? <laughs> they gave all of that over. You see, how do you, what do you need in order to have a fluid marriage that is wonderful, and it is blossoming, and it is easy, and it just flows. You know what you have to have? You have to have a soft heart. You have to have compassion and mercy that when you are interacting with the other and there may be some type of uh, misalignment, that your soft heart looks at them and says, Oh, it's okay. I love you. My love for you far outweighs and outruns this aggravation. You see, a soft heart is what is needed. And the only place you can have a heart, soft heart is in the presence of a living God. And so as they are moved and taken out of the garden, and it's sealed off from them, their soft heart is hardened. And now what happens? Now everything is hard. Everything is a struggle. Which is part of the natural result of not trusting God to be your everything. He tells Adam, he says, Now the ground will be hard. And with great pain and struggle you will beat the ground. To rip it from its place in order to plant something that might grow. In great struggle, great pain, and great sacrifice, you will have to tear out the hard place to put the seed in that hard place. And you will water it and you will wait, but from that hard ground you will be fed. And with Eve, your desire now you will be contentious you will have great pain in childbirth they just popped out before that half grown and not even mad <laughs> she had a baby she's like hey grab us a, a few pears don't mess with the apples <laughs> but i want you to think about that think about the demonstration of the gospel it was easy to be a child and to multiply before the hardening of the heart through the disobedience and distrust in God. But after the distrust in God, they were cast out of their fulfillment of God. Their hearts were hardened and everything became harder. And after that, becoming a child was only possible through great pain and bloodshed. The first demonstration, in my opinion, some people think that the pro-evangelion in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I think it is, that after the curses are laid out, he says that, uh, you know, you'll have great pain in childbirth. And he says, but from your womb, 
will come one that will be battling against the serpent. He curses the serpent too. And he says that, um, that the son of man, that his heel will be bruised, but he will crush the head of the serpent. And, and a lot of people say that's the first demonstration of the gospel. And I can get behind that being a demonstration of the gospel. But I think that there is a picture before that. Go all the way back. When God came back to the garden and he said, where are you guys at? And they said, well, we hid ourselves because we, we heard you coming. And we were ashamed because we were both naked. And God said, well, who told you you were naked? And they had sewn these fig leaves on in an attempt to cover their own shame and nakedness and sin. And God, in a sense, says, no, that won't do. And we see the first sacrifice. And God kills an animal somewhere, and he covers them in the skins of an animal, the first death, besides the spiritual death that they had taken, that taken place in their lives. And they are covered with the skins. You see, that's the sacrifice that would cover their shame. Now, why do I say all that in this text right here? Well, having laid out that original narrative, I want to go back and read Hebrews chapter 3 again. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Hello? On the day of testing in the wilderness where your, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for many years. You see, we went all the way back to Genesis. The text here takes it back to the time in the wilderness where the Lord was working with them and he longed to demonstrate his kindness to them by bringing them out of Egypt. And he longed for them to trust him. And if they would have just trusted, then it would have been a demonstration of his, of his righteousness and his kindness like had never been seen before. And they would realize that God Almighty had provided for their every need with fresh manna every day, with water from the rock, with blessings that fall from heaven, that the bread of life would come down out of heaven and fall down at their feet, that all they would have to do in order to live would be to stoop down and bow and get the bread of life and take him inside take it inside i said him <laughs> take it inside of themselves to give them life do we see the gospel much <laughs> it says therefore i was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart they have not known my ways hmm as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. In, in your marriage, in the marriage of Adam and Eve, and in the marriage of Israel to Yahweh, we see the characteristics of we see the characteristics of, of the interaction of God with people, God with his creation, God with his bride. And we are clearly shown, very clearly shown, the right way and the wrong way. 
And we can go on and on about this in many different ways, but I want to focus on the one aspect and uh, this hardening of the heart. This hardening of the heart. And I want to I want to say it this way, and I, I'm about, I'm actually about done. No, for real, because there, this is because this is. I don't I don't want to sit up here and talk a bunch of words. I want to give you this truth, and I want you to pray that God would sink it way down deep into your heart. I preached I preached at a at an abortion rally yesterday. Rally against Roe. And my message was this. The church needs to stop preaching a gospel of mere comfort. But they need to start preaching the gospel of Christ. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, is that, and we hit this all the time so it won't be new to you, is that so often we hear, look, Jesus loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. If you'll just come down here and say this prayer, then you'll get to escape the flames of hell and then just enjoy life until that day. But I say unto you that the gospel of Christ says that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you are made brand new, you are given new life and power, and you have been endowed with not only the power but the call to go into all nations to, do, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize all nations, bringing them into the family of God, that you have been called to be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me bring it back and, and connect it to what I'm saying here, is that men and women of God in their marriages are to be the, in my opinion, the laser point, the laser point, the focus, the greatest concentrated demonstration of the of the power and the the reconciliation nature the regenerative nature nature of God coming into the world in the form of a man and doing the work of salvation to seal his marriage with those who love God and would be, would believe who would be wed to him In order for your marriage, okay, let me see. So I do marriage counseling talks a fair amount, and I try to give advice on how to, uh, how to overcome problems in your marriage and things like that. And, and many of us, many of you are, you have, you have merit, marital issues, and you guys have a really, not just you guys, many of us, oftentimes we have blinders on, but we have this idea that we just need to get to a place where we're okay. We need to survive, right? You have a right outside of Eden mentality. You know, Eve looks at Adam, he's like, you grab the shovel. You know, they're still together. They, kept, they were cast out. You know, now that God's not in the center of a relationship. And she's squeezing out babies and about to die. He's over here working himself to the bone. They're still there together. And they're just like, I hate you. 
And we already know that Adam blamed Eve for everything. He did. God said, Adam, where are you at? And Adam literally says, this woman you gave me. So he really blamed God first. He's like, if you wouldn't have done this, I mean, look at this. What am I supposed to do with this, God, you know? This woman. Well, the problem is we knew. We know from the text that Adam stood by and watched his bride get led off into disaster without even saying a word. He was a coward. So whose fault was it really? Now afterwards, now this weak, pitiful, coward, cowardly man, and just so you know, all of you are Adam outside of Christ. That, me too. Outside the garden, without Christ, without God in the center, now he's the same Adam who's weak-willed, you know, puny little prick who wouldn't stand up for his wife. And now not only is he a weak, puny little prick, but he doesn't have God to blame and he don't even know how to swing a mattock. So I guarantee you, Eve was skinny as a rail. She started running everything. He was supposed to be the leader. But God said part of the curse was her desire would be, would, would be for him. And it wasn't sexually. She wanted his place. I guarantee you after the garden, I bet you money. She looked at him and said, you make me sick. Get that, Maddox, and get over here. <laughs> he was like, I'm fine. <laughs> and he's over there beating the ground. Okay. God showed him, though, the remedy. God showed him. So what do we call that? See, they, they did everything upside down. He was to lead her in wisdom and power and devotion, answering the enemy's claims and lies and deceit with the word of God, just like Jesus did in the wilderness. You know, we could jump forward to the wilderness of Israel. We see Jesus in the, in the wilderness. The enemy came, same way. Man, Jesus, I know you're hungry, bro. Hey, turn those rocks into some bread. You can do it. What was he doing? He was appealing to Jesus' human pride. Jesus didn't have any human pride, but he was appealing to the idea that Jesus might fall into this temptation and to sin and to make himself more than God had called him to make in that moment. And Jesus, what does he do? He says, have you not, have you not seen do you not know it's written? Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Get out of here, boy. What was Jesus doing in that moment? He was protecting his bride. Because if Jesus would have fallen to that temptation and disobeyed God, then he would not have been able to rescue and redeem his bride from the grips of Satan. Jesus, as the second Adam, answers like Adam would not to rescue his bride from the, grip, from the gripping lies of the enemy. You see, we fight together because of our hard hearts and the fact that we don't focus on Christ and all that he is and find all of our identity in him. I want to ask you this morning, church, you see this twofold thing. I could now make a plea to the marriages in here. 
But I think before I do that, I have to get up under it and make a plea for your soul here. With Hebrews chapter 3. It says, do not harden your hearts as in the days of the rebellion. See, many of you, you are in a, in a conflicting relationship with God right now. You're not the bride of Christ. You are enemies of God. If you have never been born again into the family of God, if you have never let Christ be your spokesperson, if you have never let Christ be the stand-in and die where you should have died, if you did not let Jesus be the husband who took the blows so that his wife did not go down. Then you are the one delivering the blows. Because those who make themselves a friend of the world has made themselves enemies of God. But God in his great demonstration of love has given his life up for those who would call on his name. He has stepped in to take your place in Ephesians it tells us husbands love your wives that's great well we need to talk about that in our marriages but it goes on to say husbands love your wives like Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might wash her in the water of the word to present her blemishless You know, we are stuck oftentimes in this place of anger. We don't even know where it comes from. Despair, shame, hard-heartedness. We're like a, a wounded puppy. Even when somebody loving comes along and you have this wounded dog who's been abused, who's been beaten, who's been neglected, and you can see its ribs, and you would love to just tend to that dog and love that dog and, and, and say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And you go and you try to help that dog, and you try to help that puppy, and you bend down, and you say, it's okay, it's okay. What does it do? That's what you guys are, many of you, and that's what I was. We try to bite the hand that feeds us. We can't see it. But Jesus, but Jesus longs to bend down and scoop you up. Listen, if you are overwhelmed in your darkness, in your pain, and in your shame, I am not telling you that Jesus will make it disappear like that. The storm may still rage, but what I am telling you is that Jesus Christ, when he comes in, you, oh man, how many, how many of you wives got a really awesome husband? Heather. <laughs> she didn't even raise her hand. How many of you have an awesome husband every now and then? You know, how many of you who, you have a, a good husband, and I know sometimes you forget it, and I know sometimes he doesn't show it, but generally speaking, your husband loves the Lord. He's got a, he's got a transform, he's got a soft heart. You know, Jesus has taken out his heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. And 
when you're operating in your relationship with Jesus and you're not in your fields, you know, and you're not, you know, experiencing more of the curse where you just can't stand his freaking guts, you know. But when, but when the stars align and you're walking in the Spirit and He's walking in the Spirit and He is loving you and cherishing you and He's praying with you and He's strong. Maybe not physically, it's okay. But spiritually, He's strong. And you know He'd lay down His life and He'd fight a bear for you. And He'd also fight the enemy, the devil, for you as He speaks the word over you. How many of you find one of the most comforting places in the world when he wraps his arm around you and he pulls you in close and he says I got you babe how many of you love that hands way up high let the husband see let me tell you something let me tell you something you ladies out there who aren't married yet maybe you ladies out there who have a a piece for a husband this is what I would say Jesus is the bridegroom. Jesus is the husband that is perfect in every way. I got one more question. How many of you ladies are willing to admit? How many of you ladies out there are willing to admit? That oftentimes the reason that your husband can't be that that you would like for him to be because of the hardness of your own heart to allow him to be it. I see hands. Jesus stands with open arms and he calls to you. And you just see the wounded, the wounded maiden with her hand, head in her hands. And she says, I'm not worthy. He says, I am. I don't care. And she says, you're not strong enough. He says, trust me. She says, I don't know how. He said, I. I'm the one that came here. I don't know the way. That's why I came to you. You, it won't last. They never last. I'm the same today, yesterday, and forever. But I don't know. Can I really trust you? He says, look. Look. I could have came down off of the tree, but I stayed. I could have called 10,000 angels down. I could have just ripped the nails out and said, Enough! Those nails didn't hold me to the tree. No, my love for you held me to the tree. Don't you see? And he stands there with open arms looking at this 
maiden who he longs to marry, to bring into himself, to wrap his arms around, to cover her in his power, to cover her in his covering that she would not be exposed to the elements, that she would not have to fight to eat, but that he would provide food, rich food, fresh bread every morning. That he would be the rock of ages from which the, 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 the water of life would flow. And he says, come, come, I stand here. Behold, I'm here. Come, I've done all the work. I have taken all the pain. I've taken all the shame upon myself that Christ upon the cross said. It was for the joy that was set before him. He endured the despising, despicable, disgusting cross, despising its shame. All the shame of, in all the world was cast upon him. Why? Because he would not allow it to be on his pride. Eve came out of the garden in great shame because of the failure of her husband. But Christ, the husband of the church, says, I'll take the shame. Adam looks at Eve and he said, this woman. And Jesus says, I'll take the blame. Adam says, God, it was your plan. It was your plan to wreck it all because you gave me this woman. And Jesus says, I lay my life down for the sheep. Jesus says, what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour. Jesus says, what should I look at the Father and say, this plan is messed up? No, he said, it was for this hour that I came. Adam looks at Eve and essentially says, you wasn't worth this. And Jesus looks at you and says, you're worth it all. I lay my life down for the sheep. For greater love has no man than this. That a man lay down his life for his friend. Jesus Christ poured himself out unto death. The reason he did it was to reach down and pick you up. He knows you're wounded. And the reason I say this is this. There are some of you in this room today, and it's not your great learning that keeps you away from God. It is not your philosophical questionings about the reality of, and the existence of God. No. It is, not your, it is not your confidence in science that God can't exist. Nope. Nope. You know what it is? It's that you've been hurt. You've been wounded. You've had men in your life that have abused you. You've had women in your life that have been contentious hard-hearted and would not allow you to be the man in their life that you long to be you've had parents in your life that's wounded you you've had teachers you've had this you've had that and you've wounded yourself and there you are trembling all of your ribs showing neglected pain running down you and the savior stoops whole time you're just biting him but he don't care 
and he brings you in. He takes you home, and very slowly, he nourishes you, maybe even with a bottle, maybe with drops of water, and he, he wants to just stroke you and bring you in. You see, when one of my children, when they get wounded and they get hurt, they don't want me to touch it. They're, they're, you know, they're scared I'm going to hurt them. At first. The other day, LRA. But now we've kind of got into this rhythm, which that's a whole nother sermon. <laughs> now that she knows, like, she always knew I loved her. But in those moments where she gets really hurt, you always have that first time where they grasp the concept. Like, now with my grandma, she'd pour that stuff on it and, like, just, you know, kill me in order to heal a little cut. What was that stuff? It was awful. But anyway... What? Dialing? Dialing. Y'all, like 18 people said it at one time. <laughs> it's like Nazi Germany. <laughs> Methylene? Yes. It di- you died four or five times every summer. Uh, okay. Methylade. It was the, the red stuff? Yes. Yes. Chinese torture? Perfected. What was I saying, you guys... Oh, oh, yeah. So, but there's always that when your child is born, you know, they, they're not comprehending. They get a little bit older, and, you know, they know you love them. Like, they'll, they'll run to you and stuff like that. But when they get hurt, and there's that, that, that time where you want to see the wound, or you want to see the scrape, or you want to see the what, and they're, like, running from you. No, don't touch me. Don't touch me, right? But once, if you can ever get to the place where they realize that you're, you are the good guy, you are the one that can fix it. You're the one that can make it all better. And sometimes, friends, it's not even that you make it better because you actually make it better. That It's that you make it better because of your presence. And so the other day, uh, Ella Ray, she fell down. And she had a boo-boo. She came running into the room. She's like, it was, I couldn't even see it. But she's like, ah! you know. <laughs> There's spiritual application there too. She's like, oh my God. And I'm like, let me see, let me see. And she's like, oh. and I'm like, where? <laughs> and she's like, you know. And I said, you need to kiss it, make it better? She said, so I got her little arm and I kissed it. And uh, she reached up and grabbed and I just scooped her up. There was nothing wrong with her. Right? She was wounded internally. She was scared that something might be wrong. And it was a little painful. But boy, when I kissed it, it's funny because a kiss can't heal a wound on the outside. But you know, she, man, she really was. She was like, oh, my God. But you know, when I kissed that arm, it was like, I'm like, it's, mar- it's a miracle. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what happened? What happened? I healed her on the inside with my love and embrace. Dear. Mm. Do not harden your hearts as in the days of old. Fall into his arms. He stands at the gate. He calls your name. Do not be afraid. 
to fall into his embrace. It's where all the healing exists. It is where all the pain vanishes away. It's where all the shame is taken and thrown as far as the east is from the west. And we stand before our Lord and Savior in all of his wonder, in all of his power, in all of his grace. And we walk forevermore in that place of openness and wonder and beauty. Let's stand to our feet. You do business with God. Don't, don't hesitate. Don't wait. If you've never come into the loving embrace of Christ and been saved, I call upon you now to give your life to Christ. Confess Him as Lord and Savior, believing that God has raised Him from the dead. And He will come and be with you and you with Him. And you will be the bride of Christ, born again, never ever again to wonder if you're going to be okay. Because He will never leave you nor forsake you. Come and, and do business with God. say one other thing I just gave a call to salvation but it just landed on me some of you ladies that you walk around in hard heartedness and you don't know where it comes from and you're a believer and you cut your husband off from being the husband that he desires to be because of your hard heartedness make your way down here and repent repent of that Get out of your own way. Place that at the foot of the cross too. Husbands, some of you, because of your, your blame and because of your shame and because of your hard-heartedness, you're not allowing your wife to be all that God has created her to be. You're not washing her in the water of the Word to present her blemishless before the, the Father in heaven. Come on, get down here. Get on your face with your brothers and sisters and let's, let's demonstrate who God is before the dark world, before the, uh, before the mixed up world who are, are lost and going to hell. And when they look at you, let the glory of God so radiate out of you in your marriage that they look at you and say, what did that? Because Christ and Christ alone can do that. So you hard-hearted husbands, even if it's from time to time, get down here and pray. You hard-hearted wives, even if it's from time to time, get down here and pray. We are not trying to make our marriages survive. We desire that they thrive and demonstrate to the world just who Jesus is. Come, come and do business with God.